Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. Welcome back to the Golf Practice Podcast. My name is Andy Hayes, and with me again is Peter Donahue. Pete, Golf in the Kingdom, Part 2. I have a feeling this may be upwards of five parts at the rate we're going, <laughs> which is not a bad thing because um, these aren't that long, and we're getting into some really good stuff. So um, if you haven't listened to Part 1, you should go do that. But if you, for some reason, don't want to listen to Part 1, this will be an okay p- place to start too, because they can kind of broken up. Um, so, Pete, you're you're reading for Peter McNaughton. We're sitting around the table in Scotland, telling stories about our theories of golf. Yep, and uh, and McNaughton has his understandings uh, of things, and he starts and and uh, he says there's something benign about the game after all. We can read it in our history. It's recorded that after the Treaty of Glasgow in 1502, which ended our worst wars with England, James IV bought himself a set of clubs and balls. The prohibition laws against the game, which he had renewed because the fields were needed for war practice, were dropped that year since there would be no more fighting. Then he married Margaret Tudor the following year, bought himself some clubs, and married the daughter of the English king. What do you think of that? Now, I've often thought about James IV, how he signed the treaty and bought himself those clubs. Reminds me of President Eisenhower. It's not a warlike man that loves the game so much. And Murphy says, I felt constrained to say that Ike was getting a lot of criticism for all the time he was spending on the course. Well, I'll admit that a man like that could get more done, but at least, um, but at least he probably will not get into wars or silly ventures, seeing how much time he needs for his leisure. I think the very thought of lifting that prohibition law led James the Fourth to sign the Glasgow Treaty. He could not have played unless the war was over, since they needed all that lynx land for practicing their bows and arrows. After the union of the Scottish and English crowns, James VI and I proclaimed that Sunday sports were to be permitted in Scotland. Peter recited a declaration by the king, which he had memorized, something to the effect that on Sunday, our good people be not disturbed or discouraged from any lawful recreation, such as dancing, leaping, or vaulting. Those good Presbyterians now could leap about through the streets after divine service. And moreover, that was the year that the feathery ball was invented, a ball that could fly further than any before it. The coincidence of those two events, the discovery of the feathery ball and the relaxation of the Sabbath prohibition against sport, was significant. For every improvement in leisure got into laws and treaties and politics generally. Thank you for reading. Um, we talked last time about how golf is kind of like an x-ray of the soul or a, a Rorschach test that you see differently every time. And I love kind of these two stories. One of uh, James the Fourth, who ended a war because 
the war fields were needed to play golf. And so he theorized that he ended the war so that he could get out and play golf. <laughs> um, and then the second one of how they, you know, golf wasn't allowed on Sundays, but then they invented this new feathery ball that would, that would go farther. And so then they, the, the Kings allowed golf on Sundays, you know, presumably because they were so taken by, by the game. Um, I, I guess I don't have a ton more to say, say about that. I think it's re- the, what do you think about those thoughts of how kind of go- golf seems to you know like permeate into all all aspects of society? Or well, I think you know uh, the historical uh, look at it is is interesting because you know it, it may, that there was a consciousness that pervaded life uh, before 1502, and that consciousness was that we are at war. Uh, and that w- warring was uh, all-consuming to us, and being uh, prepared and ready to fight, and 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 our future, you know, was we were going to continue to fight. Uh, that affected everybody's consciousness. The idea that you could spend uh, spend time and spend your your Sunday time, which was a day of rest. Right from from the duties and the work uh, before had been uh, uh, I would say I, I wouldn't say, well I I don't know having not lived there but I would say that there was less cheer than there was once leisure was permitted because they 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 were thinking you know if you think about their consciousness back then it was I it was political uh, dictated by the king and the crown and it was religious. And neither one of those had a sense of humor. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, so at any rate, <laughs> golf came out of this um, that mindset and uh, began to relax it. But it, but it was definitely affected by it. I mean, they say that you know that the uh, severe Calvinistic viewpoint, uh, you know, about life and uh, was. Um, Affected their view of the game. That, that golf was somewhere, somewhat about you know not being happy, <laughs> but about being frustrated <laughs> mm. and, and unhappy in this sure. life. So that you know, happiness was for the afterlife. Uh, I thought I laughed this time reading it because he they talk about how President Eisenhower was you know criticized for the amount of time he was played on the golf he spent on the golf course, and it seems like every president who ever plays golf gets criticized for their time on the golf course. I remember Obama, President Obama would get criticized a ton for how much time he spent on the golf course by a lot of time the criticism was from current President Trump <laughs> before he was president. Um and then but now like President Trump gets criticized just as much too. Um I it's just funny to me that that has been the story of American presidents. You know, I and Ike was uh um, you know, most people don't weren't living, you know, when, when Ike was president, but, um, you know, I was, and, um, and he, uh, you know, he was criticized as a guy who, um, who wasn't doing much. And, and, uh, and I think that, you know, what he did do, um, he wasn't given much credit for. I mean, he did start the, you know, interstate highways and he did a lot and he, and he, and, and Ike having been a general, uh, the general, really, in in World War II, um, when he became president, he knew 
that there was danger in uh, in in having this warlike mindset with um, with the in you know people of industry who desired to make wealth uh, for themselves through capitalism, he knew that if those two people, those two mindsets really got together, that we were going we to end up spending a ton of money on defense. Mm. And, and so he, he, when I was in college and, and the people were, uh, the young students were protesting after the um, military industrial complex is what it was called then that was creating this war in Vietnam uh, for reasons that were dubious. Um, you know, it goes back to Ike, Ike's forewarning. We, we should be focused, you know, more on defending, you know, having a, a defense budget that defends our, our borders and less uh, on extending our fears and warlike tendencies, um, you know, which we didn't do. Um, and so you can say what you will about that. But uh, but at any rate, Ike, uh, for being a, a general, was m- more of a level-headed man of peace. Yeah, interesting. So what year would that have been? Well, he was elected in uh, in 52. Okay. Uh, and then Kennedy followed him in 60. Got it. Yeah, I last time... In our last episode, we talked about um, McNaughton was talking about the judge, and he said, oh, I just want to find it. He says, you, you take old Judge Hobbs. My God, he lies. The lies he told last week about that round of his in the tournament. It's enough to make you wonder about our courts of law. Um, so I ask you first, why does golf bring out so much in a man? Um, and I think that's a good one, too, about our leaders and like how golf uh, set you know, shows who we are. He's telling the story about this judge who who was lying about his round, and so it's like, well, what does that say about what he does? And that made me think. I've been, um, I read this article by Rick Riley, and he talks about he wrote a book about how Donald Trump cheats on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Commander and Cheat, and I don't want, you know, it's fun. I know like it's impossible to have like a sane topic or conversation about politics that like would be inclusive for both sides but let's just like take this just we'll just take this it's only about golf okay so these are three stories these are three kind of stories that that uh people have who've played golf with donald trump um he says to rick riley writes to be a master golf cheat you need some clever tricks trump has two sleeves full trick number one the invisible dunk Quote, I've played with him a lot, says a frequent guest in Trump's foursomes. This one time I was in the fairway and he was right off the green, but a little bit down the hill. He didn't think anybody was watching, but I was. I saw him make a chipping motion from the side of the hill, but no ball came up. Then he walked up the hill, stuck his hand in the hole and pulled the ball out. It must have been a ball he had in his hand the whole time. Then he looked up and yelled, I chipped in. I'll keep going. (laughs) Story number two, the quick rake. This is a sneaky little move in which you hit your approach putt and then quickly walk up and rake up what's left of it, no matter the length, before your opponent can stop you or think to holler, hey, wait a minute. Trump has mastered this move. He does it sometimes before the ball has even stopped rolling. MSNBC cameras caught him doing it once to a ball that had sped five feet past the hole and was gaining speed. (laughs) 
By the time anybody can object, the ball is already in his pocket. <laughs> Number three, the ball switch. Whenever I've caddied in Trump's group, says Greg Puga, an elite Los Angeles amateur and caddy who has Trump in his group plenty, he always gets it in his own cart. He makes sure to hit first off of every tee box and then jumps in the cart so he's halfway down the fairway before the other three are done driving. That way he can get up there quick and mess with his ball. So this one time, we were on the 18th. He hits first, kind of blocks it right, and jumps in his cart and starts driving away. My guy peers one right down the middle. I mean, I saw it go right down the middle. One of his best drives of the day. But by the time we get to my guy's ball, it's not there. We can't find it anywhere. And Trump is now on the green, already putting. Where's our ball? And then Trump starts yelling back at us. Hey, guys, I made a birdie. He's holding up his ball and celebrating. And that's when we realized he stole our ball. He got up here early, hit our ball, and then hurried up and pretended like he made the putt for birdie. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just think that I just these stories came up to me as I was reading this chapter of like how golf can be a mirror to or, or, or a window to like a person's soul or an x-ray of a person's soul and who they are. And, um, you know, without even getting political policy into any of this. If you just think about a leader, I was thinking about if I, if when I first started working here, if I'd played golf with you, um, or if I'd played golf with, you know, the president of North Park University where I coach, and they, and you saw them doing these things, like driving ahead and stealing balls or like <laughs> pretending you would chip in. Like, first of all, I, I would never, you would never play golf with that person anymore. It would just be like, okay, I, I'm not playing with you. But then second, you would be like, this like you would never pick this person to be in charge of anything <laughs> of of value just based on you know that behavior on the golf course mm -hmm. um and i just think that's something that's really interesting about golf that it, it if you, people who like excuse president trump's behavior for whatever whatever reason um i feel like if those people are golfers and if they were seeing a person do this they would be so upset and would not you know would not have any patience for this no, uh, they say Clinton uh, had the same reputation uh, that he had his own way of cheating, and uh. Uh, and you know, no, I didn't have sexual relations with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like okay, <laughs> it's it's not that they oh, can't do some good, but you wouldn't um, you wouldn't choose them to be your moral leaders or an ethical ethical standard bearers uh you know you wouldn't you just wouldn't and uh and that's why you know golf is um you know as as they said in golf in the kingdom and has been said in other places as well it is the mirror of your soul yeah but that's interesting we've chose like what does that say about us as americans that we've chosen people who cheat on the golf course at least two out of the last four presidents you know maybe haven't yeah. heard any I don't think George Bush, W. Bush, played very much golf. And well, I guess that uh, you know, to some extent, it says that um, you know, leaders are simply the the you know among the first people to raise their hands to be willing to do it, uh, you know, and uh, and to you know have the um, the desire, you know, to spend their their time in that pressure cooker, which would be that office. It's it's uh, it's an unenviable position, but you know, attractive to people who are uh, to extroverted people who um, 
you know, are looking for those sorts of rewards. And, uh, and so, um, you know, how, how would some introverted person, you know, who, who, who has a, a, a stronger moral compass be elected, you know, when it's, when it's really, you know, all about marketing. They would, well, they wouldn't. I they heard. wouldn't. They can't. There's no. There's yeah. no. You know. Uh, they no. They'd have to be uh, have performed miracles. Yeah. Uh, you know. Are you Are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, the author? Yes. Yeah, he has written books, but he also does a podcast now. And on one of the most more recent episodes, he talks. He has this guy on, and this guy's job. Uh, he works in Bolivia at, with with like high schools, and he helps them with their elections for student council. And he, his life's mission is to teach people that what he calls it are like election lotteries are actually a better way of choosing leaders than kind of like the democratic system we have today. And what, like, what an election lottery is, is you take anyone who's interested, you say, who wants to be on student council? And, you know, let's say 100 people say, I, I, I'd like to do it. You know, normally the way we do it now is they, you know, will give speeches and make signs and then there's a vote. And usually, you know, the most popular kid wins. But in this way, it's like who, anyone who's interested in doing it, their name, go, you know, they actually write it. It's somehow on a, they use, they use beans somehow. I don't know. And they put a hundred beans in the, in the jar and they pull out 10 of them and whatever 10 beans that are, those people are the student council without. And, and he's found that kind of, as you're saying, people end up getting into positions of power that otherwise never would have gotten elected, but they actually become like very, very effective leaders <laughs> because th they're good at things that just aren't like the stand up and say, Hey, look at me things that, that kind of get people elected. Huh. Um, and Interesting. So, yeah. He, he, I mean, they've been doing tons of it there and they, they, in the podcast episode, um, Gladwell went to this, like fancy private school in New York, uh, like a boarding school, and talked to their student council about this and kind of showed how, hey, our, the way we do things right now maybe isn't getting us the best leaders. Like if we want the best leaders, like this isn't the best, the best thing. He talks, you know, he talks to the girls in the class, like, look, we haven't had a, a female president in, you know, in all these presidents. Like, do you think that's a good, you know, <laughs> is that a good thing? Or whereas if, you know, if we had some sort of a, uh, lottery system there would be more of a <laughs> chance to do it wow and so what the, the high, then he asked what, how the high school would do it and that high school the boarding school they ended up saying like we would have a vote we'd have a preliminary vote um so you make sure the people who are at least considered for the job have some you know qualifications um or have some ability and then but then from that like top 10 or something it would just be the class president would just be randomly chosen hmm. from the top 10. And so sounds hey, listen. interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you, um, you know, among the people, you know, who at least history at this point has dubbed, uh, you know, our greatest presidents have been, you know, men like uh, Lincoln and Truman, both uh, of whom felt uh, that uh, that their own individual personality or their 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 strength as individuals were not you know perhaps inadequate or overwhelmed by the by the largeness of the job and yet what they did was they 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 asked themselves well what needs to be done what would the leader need to do at this point not what would Abe Lincoln do 
what wow. would what is what is needed and so they they um you know they expanded and evolved as people as they as they took office i mean you know truman was the the haberdasher from kansas and uh you know yeah. he he was just a you know an afterthought on the <laughs> ticket yeah i don't know that's really i'd never heard that that before of like Maybe it would be a helpful thought of like asking the question: What would a, what would the leader of these people or this organization or this country need to actually do? As because right now you can, it's not just Trump. It's you know, it's literally every person in politics. It's like, what would I do for my agenda and my personality and my brand and yeah, my constituents my con- who yeah. who you sent me here with a you know a referendum or a, you know um, and um, yeah. It's uh, it really it really would be interesting. I mean, we're 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 at that point. I mean, politically, where I mean, you can see it. We're in crisis, uh, you know, right now. That that the government, uh, the Congress, is essentially uh, in gridlock. I mean, they've, they've almost proven that there there really isn't that this is really the end of democracy because the the president is really the only one that can do anything by you know with through yeah. pre- executive powers and and all this stuff that Obama had to do and I mean it's it's uh, so and so where are we going you know and where's where is capitalism going you know I'm you know our, our stock market you know has has uh, has risen uh, to levels that are absolutely incredible to me you know from 2008 when we had the crash and um and, you know, I'm not an economic expert by any means, but I asked somebody the other day, and they said, well, it's just supply and demand. You know, you can't make money on your money any other way except through, you know, the stock market. Your savings accounts, interest rates are so low, bonds are not the place to go. So it's not that our country and our companies have become so much stronger and so much better. That's not why it's gone up. It's a bubble. Mm. And so, uh, so uh, yeah. what's going to happen if sure. if interest rates go up? And what's going to happen to the market and to our savings and to people? I mean, you know, right now, uh, you know, we're and and the 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 the, the idea that um, you know that 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 we shouldn't be rewarding um, things that are for the good of our country rather than for the good of shareholders in the short term. I mean, it's just like, does this make sense? I mean, to me, it's like my Uncle Joe, you know, saying, hey, how's this working out for you? (laughs) Well, it's working out for some people, Mm -hmm. but but as a country and as a future, it doesn't look like it's going to work unless we evolve. Mm -hmm. And so... Perhaps that's where we are right now. We're at, a, we're at a breakdown that will lead us to some new metric, some new way of measuring. Because uh, why, why should a company be rewarded for putting people out of work? We know that, um, that people are happiest when they're gainfully employed and they're doing things. Sure. So, so shouldn't, the, shouldn't our metric about value of companies and individuals have more to do with what they're doing to create, yeah, create jobs a, a good life yeah. yeah, for other people? I mean, you know, 
uh, I know that in China right now that that they're, they they've got this um, social experiment with um, measuring, you know, putting a measurement on your citizenry, you know, uh-huh. and it, and it sounds, you know, I remember Ty Libby before he left was mortified at the thought of this, and and who knows because you know these kind of innovations mostly go in bad places before they go to good places. But, but if you thought about it and you said, you know, gosh, we want to, we want, we want there to be some reward for people that do good things for our our people and our society. Um, And if, you know, the Reagan triple trickle down effect, you know, actually works. Well, I know that it can be measured, you know? And so, so at any rate, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, our uh, next evolution as far as yeah. So now the million dollar question, maybe we can bring us back to golf somehow. Is is there any way golf can help us understand the current state of politics or get through the current state of politics? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I think that well, I'm you know I mean offhand, I, I believe that you know golf as a um, as a um, a time of of, of uh, recreation is very valuable. I, I think the people that criticize uh, leaders for recreating uh, are are ignorant. Yeah, you, uh, need you, you absolutely yeah. need to to yeah. keep your your sanity and to let your mind relax. Apparently, off folk, you know focus or concentration mm-hmm. on the issues and let it do its its unconscious work of problem solving while you're recreating. I think that, you know, um, I, and I do think, I, I think that golf as a, um, and this perhaps will be for a future um, podcast because Dr. Lang, Julian Lang in, in Golf in the Kingdom speaks about it, that uh, that uh, the future of the game, um, Lang doesn't see it as optimistically as uh, as others in the room, and feels that the game, you know, in its uh, is is reflecting our uh, decline, mm. uh, and that's because we've we now ride in golf carts instead of walk, and uh, and we don't um, we don't use the recreation to its fullest benefit. Yeah, interesting. That will be a, yeah. That that'll will. be a, it's going to be a good one to talk about. I well, I wonder if uh, as you know, mirror. It seems to be a you know a theme that keeps coming up is it is life. Yeah, I guess is life as a citizen or a leader. Like, is it about getting as mo- as much for you as possible? You know, regardless of the rules or regardless of other people, to the extent of you know wearing golf. It the the symptom of that mindset in golf of like i'm going to score the lowest no matter what um you know in a healthy way it's like man i'm going to practice and i'm gonna you know get my mental game good and i'm gonna play a good game and but in a unhealthy way it turns into cheating and taking advantage of other people and so i think it can kind of sh- you know if you're willing to look at the way you approach this it kind of shows the way you approach the world or approach life yeah i mean i think that uh you know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I view the the Trump presidency. I guess uh, the the cat's out of the bag as far as my v- views about this and your <laughs> views about this, but uh, is a breakdown. And uh, 
you know, it's a, in, in so many ways. And, uh, it's a, and I think the opportunity is that uh, on the other side of breakdown is breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, well, it's t- I have, I feel like I more and more have, you know, empathy. I more try to understand both sides. And I, you know, I went to spend some time in northern Minnesota last month, and there's, like, Trump flags just, like, everywhere. And seeing the people, the pe- you know, they live in a, in a rural place, and there's not that many people around, and they know their, their neighbors. And it's like, and then, so for them to turn on the news and see these... Um, you know, pro- people like destroying things. They see Black Lives Matter. They they get told about like immigration and how, you know, whether the story gets gets spun and maybe they don't know the whole story or whatever. I could understand the fact of like, hey, we're happy and we are you know taking care of each other as a community. Like, why do we need the government to step in and why do we need these people to do these things? Like, chances are, in some of these places, if you've never met a person who looks different than you, like, why would you? you know necessarily care about them um but i think it gets you know we keep circling but you you talked last time about how the biggest breakthrough for you in golf was like you started to notice other people and you took a camera with you onto the course and it seems like the camera was almost some sort of like a spiritual practice for you know for you playing that game of like now we're going to start to to notice other people and so i think it starts with can you notice you know, do you notice the three people in your group, and then it can it get bigger? Can it get bigger to like now you notice other people on the course? Now you notice people at, you know, different courses. Do you notice the people at the public clubs? Do you notice people at Canal Shores? And then it kind of can go from there. Yeah, I think really, you know, the 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 idea of of uh, spreading um, thoughtfulness. You know, with, you can walk by people, and I do it. I do it a lot uh, out of shyness uh but i know that that's not how it's viewed i think it's viewed as aloofness mm. if you walk past somebody without acknowledging them um it's a simple matter to to say hello or to uh pass pleasantries with people and it's the beginning of civility yeah uh because you know you open you create an opening for somebody to step into and um you know that's the the rule of improv. You know, yeah. create openings for people to be able to be creative and uh, and to be able to uh, extend themselves towards you. And I think that you know the chance of uh, between a- any two people of creating energy, you know, goes and we feel it here all the time. You know, in in uh, at the golf practice in the different ways in which we collaborate. I mean, it's an energy level that you can't get by yourself. Yeah. And so, you know, the uh, many psychologists say, you know, the problem with uh, with us as social beings is, you know, is people. <laughs> you know, you can't live with them and you can't yeah. live without them. Sure. Yeah. Well, Pete, this was fun we find we've we've gotten close to politics in the past on this and always stopped before going into it so it was fun to dive in a little deeper yeah. um who do we have next in the the chapter is it is it the well we have uh, we have yeah no we have uh adam green okay and uh the yoga of the supermind wow so we have yoga of the supermind then and then then we have uh, agatha okay oh no then we have julian Dr. Lang, uh, who who is a 
a counterpoint to uh, Adam, and then uh, then we have Agatha, and then we have Shivas. Oh, a lot to look Clean forward contact. to. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment, and when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment, or the moment defines you.